0: I'd like to welcome everybody to another episode of the House of Bricks. We've featured some of the best athletes in the world, Super Bowl champions, NBA champions, top CEOs, keynote speakers, doctors changing the landscape of healthcare. And as you know, I'm very selective on the guests that I do have on my show. And I've been waiting a long time to have this guy on. So I'd like to welcome John Wallace to the House of Bricks. John, welcome to the House of Bricks.
1: Appreciate you having me. Now, which one of those boxes do I check? I mean, you rained on all those professions. Which one am I? (laughs) Well, the next show, I'm going to add your category.
0: So I'm not going to tell you what it is till after the show. So not an elite athlete, didn't win a championship. (laughs) You're not a CEO. So I'll come up with a category for DJ dub. And I will mention you in my next introduction. So, I'm going to kick this off with a funny story, and I don't know if you remember it, but I was sitting courtside at the Miami Heat game, and I was sitting there with my wife, Vanessa, and I think I was the only person ever to sit courtside with a newborn baby that would be crying during timeouts while Pat Riley's drawing up plays and (laughs) playing with Dwayne Wade's watch when he was injured sitting on the bench next to me, so... You said something that was, I, I still make jokes about it to this day. And I won't mention who, but you looked over me and you're like, that guy's breath smells so bad. It makes me want to chew gum. And so <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember that or not, but like, I yeah, literally I remember it. was barreled over <laughs> laughing and I still joke about it. And we're talking 17 years ago. And it's still one of the funniest things I've heard today. So oh, man,
1: It was like 20 years ago. Adam. Yeah, that we're was a long time ago, man. We're in 2024. It's 20 years ago.
0: Wow. Now I feel even older. But uh, no, you're an amazing guy. I appreciate staying connected with me. The random white guy that sat courtside at the, the Miami Heat game at 23 years old. And it was
1: great. There's a bunch of connections, Adam. Could you play ball in a Rochester team? aside from being a season ticket holder with the heat and during those days you know we i didn't i wasn't playing as much uh i was actually sitting there going back and forth with you talking more more so than actually playing at that time so we were we, we'd we have like whole conversations <laughs> yeah i don't even know what the score
0: of the game was you know we're just <laughs> ripping it up so no uh, had some really good times there but uh no i mean you're great Great person, had a great career, continued to have some success after basketball. But tell us a little bit about your upbringing, being an athlete. Tell us your story.
1: Well, for me, um, from Rochester, New York, right now, honestly, we got like five guys in the NBA, so I, I'd venture and say we're the best city in the United States for basketball per capita. So uh, I'd be willing to bet that against anyone, but um, we're... we I, on a from Rochester.
0: Oh whoa. Okay, there's only like 40 people in Rochester. So if 3 people make it, percentage-wise you are, but I'm from Detroit, man. We're producing
1: real ballers from there. Hey, what are you talking about? A real baller? Anyone that makes it to the NBA is a real baller, right? Okay. All right. I'll so, give you that. Yeah, yeah. So with that being said, my statement holds true. Okay, but back to what I was talking about being from Rochester, New York. It you, you come up with a you're brought up with this chip on your shoulder because all of let back then when I was coming up all the notoriety and all the praise and everything went to the New York City players. So when we had a chance to play against them, we always destroyed them. You know, the the New York during my era, you know, 91 92 week on. New York State night, even even in 90, because we had a really good team in 92 with Rick Brunson, with Iris Sims, Art Long, myself and Willie Pauley, we only had five players in that team. Three of us made it to the NBA from that one AAU team with our coach Mickey Walker. Um, So that that was my start. And I didn't start basketball till eighth grade. And up to that point, I was all about boxing and football. and. I sucked when I first started, man. It was frustrating because I was pretty big, but guys, who, you know, kids who were smaller than me were able to beat me, and it was very frustrating. So, um, right from, like, when I started in eighth grade, I just didn't want to get in trouble. I was, half, you know, doing some mischievous things and, you know, one foot into having some fun and hanging out with your friends and one foot into playing basketball. Just got out of got out of a stolen car. My cousin and my really good friend got caught that night. I didn't, and that just that made me pour everything I had into basketball. So I was working out literally ten hours a day, and it's hard for people to comprehend that or or understand that. But everyone who played in the NBA understands what I'm talking about because when I got to the NBA, you know, you're talking like everyone talks about how much they worked out. It's pretty much a common kind of denominator. Everyone was working out 10 hours a day and like it, it was, you weren't doing anything special. Um, you know, that's for all the guys who made it that far. That's what they were doing all day, every day, no days off. And, uh, it, it was, you know, it, it was sort of like the outliers book. talking about mastering your, your, your craft. It takes 10,000 hours. But when you're putting in that many hours as a kid, you don't realize it, but you're you're mastering your craft, you're, you're putting in that work to become a master or, or the best that you're at your, uh, one of your, in, in your field. So, and complete 10,000 hours or above and beyond that. If everything else falls into place. You grow a little bit up on your side. You have a really good shot and getting yourself a scholarship and then turning that scholarship into the possibly getting drafted into the NBA, which is the ultimate goal for anyone playing basketball. Um, I think basketball, I think the NBA is the, 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 the like the most highly coveted job in the world. Like everyone would love to play in the NBA. You know what I mean? There isn't a guy walking on the streets playing anywhere. If you say, hey, you want to play in the NBA? Be like, yes, please. Where can I sign up? You know what I mean? So. It's, it, to have that job and to still be connected to the NBA, work for the Knicks now for the last 14 years on the corporate side doing things, it's just been a beyond a dream in terms of what the NBA and what the, what the, what the basketball has given me in my life.
0: Well, I want to drill into a couple of things you said. So number one is working out 10 hours a day. So a lot of people talk about rest and recovery especially today's athlete right i see you know 13 14 year old kids they've got a they got a trainer they got a physical therapist they're doing recovery so two questions number one is 10 hours a day too much and does it give your body the time to recover and secondly did you ever work with a personal trainer at 14 15 years old
1: absolutely not never had a personal trainer did you have any and skill
0: coach or oh
1: I just got out there every day and just worked uh worked on my on uh, my craft and 10 hours isn't too much because that's it you're 14 15 years old your body's building muscle That's it's a time when you want to work and build that foundation so you have a strong core and strong leg strong everything like you're Basketball isn't like a, a you got to be big, bulky, strong to be good at it. It's sinewy strength for basketball, and sinewy strength is only built by uh, high repetition, whether it's taking thousands of shots. So you know a guy like Reggie Miller who doesn't look that strong but can shoot a jump shot from half court and make it consistently it because it's just sinewy strength from muscle memory, repetition. That's how you build strength in basketball. So. No, I don't think ten, 10 hours a day is too much. I um, uh, never had a personal trainer. These what people as with the personal trainers NBA players get to the NBA, then you hire a personal trainer to stay in the NBA and become a better player once in the NBA. But it it, it, it come getting to the NBA comes from desire, will, determination, all that, and that that's something you got to be willing to put in every single day on your own without a trainer to earn yourself the right to, to to hire a trainer once you get to the NBA. But, the, the you know, that that notion out there that, you know, you're working out too much or guys are playing too much, you're going to lead to injury. Injuries are just freak things. It's been happening forever. Like, you know, some guys, some, some are more uh, prone to injury, but I, I don't think there's a correlation between working out too much and then that guy is always going to become injured. I don't I don't see that correlation.
0: So you played high school basketball, AAU. Were you a McDonald's All-American? Did you go to that? And then you ended up playing at Syracuse, right?
1: McDonald's All-American, 1992. Um, then I went right to Syracuse. The greatest college on the planet. I had so much fun there. Uh, I mean, we were... Uh I, I can't I can't express through words the amount of how much I love my time at Syracuse, how much I still love my, my, my college to this day. I, I love everything about Syracuse. Um and Syracuse really, you know, got me to the to the NBA and Coach Beheim his solid play letting his bigs. He's kinda of ahead of his time then bigs like myself, Derek Coleman, Billy Owens bring the ball up, shoot threes, uh, push it in transition. So, I mean, we had a, we, we had a pretty open uh, run of it. And because of that, we were all able to show our versatility during the game, which led to us getting drafted in the NBA.
0: So on your McDonald's All-American team, who are some of the, other than you, who were some of the elite players that you played with?
1: Well, the best player from our team was Jason Kidd. 92. Uh, Corliss Williamson, he, he was on the team. Uh, Othello Harrington, McDonald's All American team. Uh, then it was like Mike Lloyd, Dante Bright, um, Ken and um, Murray, was Chris Murray's father. Uh, he have been a team. Chris Collins. Yep. Uh, Doug Collins was on that team. Uh can't remember everyone, but that's almost everyone. Martise Moore was on that. So it was, it was a rest in peace with Moore. I think he passed away, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, good players who all excelled in college in the McDonald's All-American. But as you can tell from that list, Select, select, select few that go from back then in the McDonald's All American game to the NBA. You know, it's just, it's just, it just, its really that hard. It's really that big of a difference. It's really, you know, step up in competition and the level of play is just uh, almost insurmountable for most guys, except for the guys who are able to conquer.
0: And what made, they're obviously all talented. Right. Every, everyone that makes it to the 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 road just gets more narrow yeah. as you progress in in whatever profession, when you're trying to reach the top, what separates the guys that make it from the guys that don't? Because there's a lot of guys that have the talent and the athleticism to be in the NBA. What is it that makes the guys that make it make it and the ones that don't don't?
1: It's really simple, Adam, and you know this from because you're, you're you're a successful businessman. Work ethic. Not that simple. The guys who love to work, come to come to work every day, work out hard during the off season, really put in that extra work, watching film, taking care of their body, eating right, all that good stuff. Like the guys who do that, those are the guys who have a longer career. When you when you see a guy who's super talented and he only lasts two or three years in the NBA, he didn't love working. Uh, I don't need to know. I don't have to know that person. I just know if, if that's the case. That's probably what it was. He didn't love work. He didn't love the game. You gotta love it because it's hard. Yeah, but it becomes the best life. Ever.
0: It becomes work real fast. That's why I tell my. Kids, enjoy it now because <laughs> this is the easiest it's ever going to get. Like, it, no it becomes <laughs> a job. And so speaking to our younger athletes out there, we have a mix of, you know, parents, business people, younger athletes up and coming that listen to our podcast. What are What's one piece of advice that you would give a uh, John Wallace in his eighth or ninth grade that's out there, maybe not that good? Or they haven't grown into their body yet. What what's a piece of advice that you would give them?
1: Well, that's exactly what I was. I was wasn't super coordinated because I was growing at such a rapid rate. Um and, and those guys like myself tend to be late winners. So, you know, the guys who are done growing, girls who are done growing, they're really good young because they're almost at their adult height and all that. So they're dominant early. And and not to say they won't be good later, but it's harder for them because everyone catches up and kind of usurps them. For me, if you just, for that kid out there who's like myself, just keep working. Just buy into the fact that you're going to eventually get better. It's it's all going to click one day. It's all going to come together like this nice little puzzle. Like all the pieces just aren't falling into place for you. You don't really have to do much besides put in the work every day. You know, for my work and... I grew six inches one in San Mary, then another three inches. So, like, you know, that helped, obviously. But <clears throat> if you're doing all that growing but not working, it, it wouldn't matter. You'd just be big and not that good. You got to continue to work, continue to work, continue to work. Um, surround yourself with friends who love to work, too. Like, all my friends played ball. If you didn't play ball, we weren't hanging out. That's all I did every day. Even my high school girlfriend, Every date we had at was on the basketball court. Right. that's where we hanging out today yeah. tomorrow next week next month that's what we're doing you're that's rebounding doing every day yeah, yeah tell her she's sure. rebounding she's a great rebounder it's <laughs> hard to chase it down thumbs down with the chest pads. <laughs> hit me in the corner yeah good
0: job there we go get another rebound she's getting a workout too back to your career and you play at syracuse did you enter the nba early or did you play all four years
1: all four, and I wish I had another four. I had so much fun at Syracuse. I entered the draft my junior year and went back to school. Um, and going back to school, my senior year cemented my legacy at Syracuse in terms of being one of the internet the, the Pantheon of greats at Syracuse. And, um, you know, without that, I'm just another player probably at Syracuse who was good. But you you, you enter a special conversation when you have the senior year that we had and you know, came so close to winning the national title that year, losing in the championship game against Kentucky. So, um, but coming back that senior year was everything for me. Needed it, uh, you know. And that's that's you know one of the reasons what people hold me in, in such high regard at Syracuse because of that senior year.
0: So in addition to my podcast, I also started a business advisory company where we're helping businesses build a strong foundation, just like you talked about in your athletic career. Every business needs a strong foundation. You have to do the right things consistently over time to make a big impact. Success is not an epiphany. It's something that is from consistent hard work and then ultimately you reach your goal. How important is coaching in the success of a player? You look at the NBA, you've got the greatest players in the world. Why on earth would they need a coach to tell them what to do?
1: Well, because those coaches, you know, you got 30 NBA coaches. Those are the the 30 best coaches on the planet. The NBA is the highest level you can uh, achieve. So it's got the best players, the best coaches, those guys who put in the work—it—it it, it, it always goes back to the work you're putting in. You know, I was around Hall of Fame coaches; they all put in the work. They all loved it. Um, for for any player who thinks he doesn't need coaching, that player would get out coached by a better coaches just because he's a better player doesn't doesn't really mean anything. You know, good coaches are are the difference in the game. Sometimes, obviously, great players make the plays, but. Once you're, when you're a really good coach, you know how to put those players in a position to succeed as much as possible. You know, that's, that's a coach's, that's your job. It's not like you're going to play, all right, you're going to make someone play as good as LeBron or Jordan or Kobe or any of those great players. But if you put those guys in a position to succeed more times than fail, then the team's going to be successful. You know, so you got to know your personnel. And once you really know your personnel, put them in p- position, to flourish and and, and succeed, and if, if you're able to do that, then you are a really good coach. Sometimes it's managing egos. Sometimes it's you know you're uh, you, you got to have a great memory. You, you know whatever it may be for you being a coach. Like there's all these different facets of being a coach. Some some coaches are better at X's and O's. Some got some coaches are better at in-game management. Some coach better with pre-game and having a great game plan. And if you stick to it, you'll win. There's all kinds of coaches, you know what I mean? But the coaches who are all successful all really put in the extra work. And do you think that it
0: should apply to business as well? If you're an entrepreneur starting a business, why not get a coach or an advisor to help keep you accountable and disciplined and give you a roadmap or blueprints on how to be successful?
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, just because you're – you know, in a position to run a company or, you know, take over a company, doesn't mean you're, you could do it all by yourself. And the best coaches and the best leaders are, are able to hire people or put people around them that make them better and make the company better as a whole and make the whole team better as a whole, you know? So that definitely some coaching. That's, it's, it's coaching without coaching. Like the the CEO, the co-CEO, the assistant manager, the pre- like all those people you put in place, if they all do their job the way you, you need them to, then the company or the team or whatever you want to call it will will be successful because you put the right people in place.
0: Well, that's great advice. And you had mentioned earlier how, and we are jumping around a little bit here, but you in high school, you guys really dominated the state of New York. Did you ever play pickup basketball in the – inner city did you ever play at rucker park what are some of the places that you would play pickup basketball
1: i I played at rucker but most of my basketball especially in the playing pickup was in rochester um, all over rochester every every hood in the birds wherever the good basketball was that i was there and what happened the, all the really good basketball used to always only be in the hood in Rochester, but I was good enough to start making the hood guys come out to the suburbs to play. 'Cause that the attraction in terms of the best runs in Rochester were now in Greece, and you had to come out there if you wanted to really get some good runs. Now you had to come out to Greece, so I was able to shift the paradigm a little bit in terms of where the where the uh, good pickup runs were happening for like a th- good three or four year five years span because it was a couple years while i was in college everyone was still coming out to Greece to get the good rounds
0: well it's funny you say that so i grew up in birmingham michigan which is a suburb of detroit and i i unfortunately was not good enough to get people to come to me <laughs> so i would go down to saint cecilia and oh, wow it was crazy this was like before cell phone so Imagine a six-foot white guy getting dropped off at Saint Cecilia. I learned more about myself and just how to be in that environment. I—I'm just talking. I was the only white guy within a ten-mile radius, but my parents just would drop me off and they'd say, "Hey, don't get killed," and I'll—I'll I'll, I'll pick you up at nine o'clock. Just don't get killed. And I remember being in there. And Glenn Rice was there and some other guys. And I would spot up in the corner and I buried two threes in a row. And I was giving the guy the business on the way down and on the way back to play defense. And so he had the ball and he just dribbled and punched me in the face. So Mike Tyson talks about everyone's got a plan until they got punched in the face. Well, I had no plan, but everybody... (laughs) (laughs) He he was literally just dribbling and then just punched me in the face. So I was there with some guys I knew, but everyone in the gym was waiting to see if I got up. And when I got up, of course you did. That, then I had everybody's respect. And the guy was like, I just want to see what you were made of. And so you mentioned basketball is the greatest game on earth. It's helped me in my career post-basketball. I didn't have much of a career like yours, but... I learned a lot about how to play within team dynamics, self-confidence, being in unknown and unsafe environments at times. But sports is I, I view as one of the greatest teachers in, in life. And you obviously had a successful college, MBA career, but you've also been able to have success after. So tell us a little bit about what has helped you succeed after, because I know. I think it's what, 55 or 60% of NBA athletes end up bankrupt within a couple years. What has helped you post-NBA be successful in
1: business? Well, preparing for the, you know, my last couple of years in NBA, you know, you start seeing the writing on the wall, so to speak. You got to start making those preparations, whether it's putting money away and making some smart investments. Um, and I always just treated people the right way. So for me, I took I took like four or five years off, didn't really do much. It was like Mister Mom catching up with my kids, a lot of lost time with that. And then I just woke up one day and I went an interview with the Knicks and got hired in the spot and started working for them. That was like 14 years ago. But um, if if I was if I didn't treat the people in New York the right way, those same people now are like senior VPs who were like lower on the totem pole when I was playing. So if I was a jerk to them or treated them wrong or was kind of to them in any way, they wouldn't in turn hire me 20 years later when I'm looking for a job 15 years later, you know? So I always tell people, just treat people the way you want to be treated. I know it sounds like a cliche and I know it sounds like, you know, whatever, but it, it really holds true. If you treat people the way you want to be treated, treat them the right way, you never know down the line if that person could help you and if they're in a position to help you, will they make a decision to help you or not based on the way you treated them or interacted with them? So when it, when it came time for me to get a job with the Knicks, they hired me on the spot. That job, that other job led to me opening up my uh, my, my, my companies and some other things. Because once you're in the circles, you make a lot of business, man. You, you can make a lot of things happen within that world because it's great networking all the time at all the events is always great people in the room that can help you in your, you know, whatever your situation may be um, in terms of business and all that. So I've always tried to make sure I treated people the way I wanted to be treated. And, um, you know, and and make sure you follow through on whatever, you know, keeping your word. Um, I know some of the guys I do business with, the reason why they even gave me a shop is because every time we had a meeting, I'm always early. I'm never late for a meeting. Always, no, no matter what's going on, you, you got to be on time. You got to show people that you're, you, what you're trying to accomplish is very important, but people who are in business are already, they're already successful. Coming from the basketball world, you're a novice. You got to understand that in terms of business, just cause you have money, just cause you have the name doesn't mean you're an expert in business. Right. You got to know you're a novice, connect yourself with some people who could teach you that you can learn. You know, that, so that's really what it's about.
0: Uh, it's great advice. I tell my kids, they don't really listen, but I tell them, and you know how this is, I got three teenagers and a 10-year-old, and now that I'm on social media, it's even more of dad. I, I send them subliminal messages through my podcast. So kids, if you're listening to me, this is directed specifically at you. This is what John <laughs> Wallace is telling you, not me. And he's a much bigger guy than me. You met him in Miami, so... Next time we're down there, you're going to have to talk to him if you don't shape up. So I tell him, show me your five friends, five closest friends, and I will show you who you are. So who you you're go. hanging out with is who you're going to become. And the people that are mentoring you, uh, you you want to find someone that is where you want to go. And that's really the secret to success. And I know you've had a lot of success as a parent and your kids are now getting scholarships to college and what are some of the things that you have been able to instill in them? Because they could easily say, Hey, I'm John Wallace's kid, whatever. I'll do whatever I want, which I know you wouldn't let that fly anyway, but, (laughs) (laughs) but if they did, like, what are some of the things that you were able to do to create that work ethic in them?
1: Well, I just always wanted them to create their own name and create their own lane, and, you know, and I, I did my thing, and I, I, I'm very cognizant of not uh, overshadowing my kids or, you know, let them kind of be out there and do their own thing. I'm not loud and boisterous at games to bring any attention to myself when my kids are playing. So I think that's kind of emasculating to your, to, to your kids. People, that parents don't realize that. So I, I just kind of just in their background and let my kids do their thing and let them become their the person they're going to become not because of me or anything just because that's the person they've actually turned into and that's it's a beautiful thing to see as you know with different kids your kids are all a little bit different you know and it's 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 great to watch them blossom into the you know the person that you kind of nurtured from such a young you know birth basically and nurturing them up to they're uh, ready to leave the house or uh, leave the house and come back to the house, whatever you want to call it. But right. you know how it is, man. It's, uh, it's, it's great that you we're in a position of, uh, being able to take care of our kids and, and show them the right way. Show, you know, and, and lead by example. Uh, sometimes i mean, what you're, you're saying to them. Cause as you know, your parents, they don't listen to us. Like, you could you could have a random person tell them something. They'll listen more to the random person sometimes than they will as a parent because they're like, "Oh, that's dad again." Got to tune, you know. They yeah. they're just saying, "Oh, it's dad again," like, you know, almost tuning you out, and they don't realize nobody on this planet wants them to succeed more than we do. No right? More. Yeah. You know, I don't know. We might go about it in a different way. We might say something, but. Bottom line is no one wants you to succeed more than we do (laughs) as a parent. And so how much, how did you
0: create work ethic and discipline in them? Because there are times when your kids like, I don't want to do that, or they're not working as hard as they could. Did you press down on that? And I know it vary based on the age and, but kind of as a teenage athlete or preteen, how did you get them to work hard and how'd you hold them accountable?
1: Well, cause that's just the way it is. Either you work hard or I'm not putting in my money or anything to your plans. Like there's gotta be equal parts money, part you working out. And, and if those parts aren't equal, then I, I don't, I'd rather you give me money and I'll work out again if you want, but I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to be damn sure. You're not working out hard or, you know, so that that was right off to right off the rip Adam. i'm like you know i'm not i'm not being in this more than you i'm not gonna be as committed to this that you, whatever you want more than you so once you show me the commitment i'll show you even more money and show you even more of my myself so, but it's got to come from from them because i tell them all the time i don't have anyone i literally used to work out by myself i got up I went and i did what i had to do i didn't have no rides someone pushing me i just got up and did it because that's what i wanted
0: and just being conscious of time i know we've have five minutes left and so we've talked about your career as an athlete success afterwards and how you viewed how you treat people is important in life because you never know who may end up being your boss including siblings so my older brother he was two years older And we used to have bloodbath battles this is when basketball was basketball like you could actually touch someone and it wasn't a foul but we took it to another level if there wasn't a fist fight then we weren't playing one-on-one and but what ended up happening is i started my first company at 19 and he needed a job so i got him a job but i was now his boss so to all of you older brothers out there Brother, beware because you may end up working for your younger brother someday or a teammate. But the point is, treat people how you want to be treated because you never know. Life is very circular, how things will come back at you. And as we wrap up here, first of all, I appreciate you being on the show. You're a friend now for 20 years, which I cannot crazy, believe. Adam. And I'm looking forward to staying connected with you. So any closing thoughts out there for up-and-coming athletes or even part of my business is now venturing into working with professional athletes to do what you did because you're one of the few that saw the writing on the wall of starting to put money away. And you need someone independent because a lot of guys, your financial advisor, he may be putting $5 in your pocket and three in his own or your attorney yeah. or your accountant. And then all of a sudden, one day you realize you don't have anything left, but any advice you have for professional athletes out there or up and coming athletes that you want to share as we wrap up?
1: Well, in terms of finances, you're, you're smart enough to handle your own. It's really simple, math. So take, take out a day or two each month in your own bills, manage your own account, that way, you'll know exactly where the money's going all the time. And if you're going into business, make sure you're going into business with someone who's smarter than you and has just as much or if not more money than you. You want someone to have skin in the game. So you don't want to be uh, the sole <clears throat> financer of any business deals. It, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and and a deal that's too good to be true is normally too good to be true for a reason. So run away. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. It's always <laughs> like that. It is too good. That's why it's not going to work. And you're about to get the th- the three card Monty New York City style, right? Which, which card no is way. it? So I did get hustled by that one time I had just made a bunch of money and I was walking through, I think Tribeca or something, and they had the three card Monty stand set up and I was watching and I was like, oh man, I got this. And then hundred bucks later, in about 10 seconds, I lost a hundred dollars. And then I stood and watched and I saw all the guys were working together. So I saw the guy before me winning, but he was in on it. So I got hustled, but you learn a lot in the streets way, no more
1: than, way more than you do
0: <laughs> in a book. And I mean, they had to look at me like, oh, we got this guy, right? Here comes this, you know, random guy, you know, nice watch. Like they, they were probably lighting up like a Christmas they, they, tree.
1: They, they got you because you're confident. That's you're like, right. No way. No way. I'm not. I'm, I, I see this card. You're watching. You're watching. Like, oh, this is easy. What <laughs> they did was they would just slam down the first card. They slipped. There's like a thing. They take their finger and then they slam the card down. They slip that card, the card on top and they slip it over. It's the card on the bottom, but it's actually the card on top. So that. that You know, I know the whole Monty thing.
0: Yeah, I see that. that. Where were you 20 years ago? I'd have another 100 bucks in my pocket.
1: (laughs) Oh, you mean 100 you gave me from the game we bet? (laughs) That was that
0: you. That was yours I gave back to you, though. Yeah, yeah. So yes, I got hustled in three card Monty, and uh, that's that's it. So we'll wrap up. So, John, I want to thank you for being on the house of bricks podcast. Again, you're a lifelong friend. I respect everything you've accomplished. And, uh, as an athlete, as in business, and most importantly, as a father, you're a great dad, seeing your kids succeed makes me happy. And, uh, it's inspiring for my kids as well. So if we could just, as we close, you just say, uh, one thing you respect, about me and about being on the House of Bricks and how you've used life's experiences for you to accomplish the amazing. So just fire it off.
1: What I respect most about you, Adam, is the fact that you were a successful businessman. You had no need or whatever to to play basketball, but you chose to go and play basketball up in Rochester for the Rochester Razor Sharks back in the day just to fulfill a lifelong dream of being a, ba- a pro basketball player. And you did that at an age, like where it wasn't ideal. At a time when you really didn't need to, you're, I'm sure your wife was like, wait, what are you doing? We got young kids. You're like, yeah, but we're going to move to Rochester, New York. She's like, wait, I don't know about me moving to Rochester, New York, <laughs> yeah. but you went and fulfilled that dream. So I've always, that's always stuck out about me, uh, about you to me, man, because like you're a successful guy. You had no, like, you could have just said, you know what, forget that. But you you went and ch- chased your dream. And chasing your dream and fulfilling that is everything you did both. So I, I respect you to the for Edward for that, man. Seriously. At
0: 32 years old, I hadn't played in a decade. So imagine <laughs> getting out there and doing that. But Rochester is a great city. I loved being there. The Razor Sharks, great organization. And it was a lifelong dream fulfilled but i have many many more that i'm pursuing now and inspiring other entrepreneurs and business people and parents how to make the most of life so john wallace thank you for being a guest on the house of bricks and i will see you soon in new york city
1: all right adam thank you